0: I am glad my, that my wife is here, and uh, turn around and let everybody see you, wave at everybody. Ain't she pretty? Amen. Praise God. And uh, gosh, we walked in, and there was this gift basket in the office, and, and thank y'all for being so good to us. I'm thinking Pastor Chad needs to be gone more often if we're <laughs> going to get that, but no, listen, how many of you love your pastor? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, don't you love him? Amen. Praise God. And we're going to keep praying for him and uh, his family and uh, Brother Donald that God will just touch his body and heal him. And uh, before we get started this morning, I want you, if you can, uh, I want to tell you about something. We've got some new t shirts that are available uh, that our ministry is putting out. And this helps, uh, as Peggy likes to say, this goes to feed the children, um, our our four children, uh, just to be specific, (laughs) that are in college now. Uh, so, actually, this helps raise money for that, and, and, and it helps further our ministry. And if you're interested in any of these, uh, they're $20 apiece. And I think if they're double X and over, it's, it's $22. And uh, uh, Sister, um, oh, where is she at? The, yes, Sister Jane, she'll be in the back if you're interested in that. And uh, we sure appreciate all of your love and support and everything that you do for us. So uh, that's, that, that is that. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please. And let's stand up one more time and let's honor God's Word. And let's go to Psalm chapter 23, okay? Psalm 23, this is very familiar to us. But I just want to read one verse uh, starting out this morning. And this is what it says in verse 6. It says, Surely your goodness an unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Some versions say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word. And I pray one more time, God, You'll move flesh and move Darren out of the way. Lord, I need You this morning, and I trust You, God, to show up in power today. God, I thank You for speaking this Word through me the way only that You can, and we thank You for all that You're going to do. And we say again, Your kingdom come, Your will be done in this room like it is in heaven. We thank You that it's accomplished, and we thank You that at the cross You said it is finished. We believe that today in the grace of God. Every need, every trial, every fight, every struggle, it's finished. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise right now. And everybody says together, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. David makes a pretty bold statement here, don't you think? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will chase me, will uh, pursue me, will tackle me, if you will, all the days of my life. Uh, That's a pretty bold statement, and he's very confident in that, isn't he? Surely it will. Why is he so confident? Why is he so sure that goodness and mercy are going to follow him all the days of his life? I believe the reason why is because of what he declared in the previous five verses. And if you look at it, look at what he's saying The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to be in want. He makes me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid because you are close beside me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. In other words, what he's doing here is he is saying, I believe everything about you that you say you are. I trust you, I believe you, and everything that you said you would do, you're going to do. That's why I know goodness and mercy is going to follow me and chase me and pursue me. How many of you know this morning that we are not fighting for victory? We are fighting from victory. Let me say that again. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it is finished. Uh, we, don't, we don't work and we don't have to, uh, to try to do a lot of good things and try to accomplish a lot of great things for God to look down and bless us. And, and then, you know, maybe then, you know, if we do a lot of good things, and God will show us favor. No, it's the opposite. God has already given us favor. God has already given us His righteousness. God has already given us His love. And out of that, we want to do good works. We want to exercise our faith. And, you know, the word for faith there, when it talks about in James chapter 2, verse 17, when it says faith without works is dead. Again, it's not, it's not well, i got to do all these good works and then I'll produce a faith. No, it's because we trusted in what He did at the cross. Out of that comes good works. We want to do the good deeds that God set in front of us to do. That word faith actually means a persuasion. In other words, I'll say it like this. We can say what we believe, we can think what we believe, but we will live and act on what we really believe. Now, I love kids. How I many of you love kids this morning? Uh, you've got a wonderful kids ministry over there, and, and this church loves kids. Uh, we raised four kids together, and, and we came out. Uh, thank God, unscathed, 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 unscathed. <laughs> you know, maybe you understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, kids, they are just who they are. What you see is what you get. And if you don't want something repeated, you better not say it in front of them. Amen? Uh, There was not long ago, there were some kids that wrote uh, one-sentence letters to their pastors. Just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, how just kids are. What you see is what you get. Here's here's a few of them. Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but He never met my sister. Yours sincerely, Arnold. Here's another one. Uh, Dear Pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to play bingo at church every week, even if she has a cold. Yours truly, Annette. Dear Pastor, I would love to go to heaven someday, because I know my brother won't be there, Stephen. (laughs) And here's the best one. Uh, Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Ralph. (laughs) I mean, what you see is what you get. Uh, A lot of you saw, maybe saw on Facebook, our oldest son Tanner, he just uh, went through uh, his white coat ceremony going into pharmacy school at Auburn University. And yeah, that's a huge ordeal, big deal. He starts tomorrow. Uh, And we can't believe that so many years have already passed. But uh, I remember back when he was just a kid, uh, I used to play this game with him when he was learning about how to, uh, learning the parts of the face Uh, I would often get with him. And and a lot lot of you know, some of you are, uh, I've been around long enough, uh, at least I I think I was, some of you remember when I used to wear a hairpiece. many of you guys remember those days. Some of you do. Maybe you don't. Thank goodness you don't. (laughs) But back in the day when I was a youth pastor, I used to wear this hairpiece. And it was pretty cool. I mean, it was, it was one of those that you kind of cut to your existing hair because if I didn't wear it, I looked like Dumbo. I'd had all this hair growing out the side. And you combed it in, and it looked very natural. But whenever I didn't wear it, I would take it off. I'd put it in a shoebox and put it up in the closet, you know. And uh, Tanner, you know, we were learning the parts of the face. And uh, this is a little game we would play. I'd get down, and I'd say, okay, Tanner, I'd say, uh, where's Daddy's eyes? And he'd point right here. Where's Daddy's ears? And he'd point right here. Where's Daddy's nose? And he would point right here. And then I said, where's Daddy's hair? And he pointed to the closet. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He did that. So what you see is what you get with kids. They're simple, right to the point. You know, Jesus loved kids. And the Bible talks about, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus actually said this about children. He said, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. Uh, Now notice what he's saying here. That word, when he says, unless you become, it's actually the Greek word where it means, unless you have a sharp twist in your thinking. In other words, if unless you begin to just accept like a kid accepts. And believe like a kid will believe. I mean, whenever you tell a child that trusts you that something is true, they're going to take it face value. They're not going to argue about it. They're not going to try to figure it out. They're just going to say, Mommy said it's true. It's true. Dad says it's true. It's true. Jesus was saying, unless you've got a faith like that and just believe who I say you are and trust that this is the way you have a relationship with me, you can't even get into the kingdom of heaven. See, kids have a simple trust. They've got a real faith. And see, the reason that they have that kind of a real faith is it's born out of an intimacy. You see, the reason that our kids still trust us today is because when they were little, we spent time in their face. You know what I'm talking about? We spent time with them. Uh, they will run to us when they wouldn't run to somebody else because they knew our voice. I could be in the deep end of a pool and say, Okay, jump. And they would run to me because they would trust me. But if somebody else did it, they wouldn't do that because there was no intimacy there. There was no faith there. I mean, of you know what I'm talking about. And so the more we got on the floor and rolled with them, the more we played games with them, the more we read to them, the more they trusted what we said. And out of that trust, an affection was born. More love was born. You know how it is, parents. Your kid comes out of Sunday school or they come home from elementary school and they're waving that picture and they run up to you and they give it to you. And what is it? It's a picture that's got all the crayon scribbles on it. It's outside the lines. It's not a Picasso by any means. It's not a Rembrandt. It looks like scribbles to the rest of the world, but to you, it's precious. To you, it's a treasure. You even put it on your refrigerator so everybody can see it. Why? Because to you, that is something they gave out of their heart. And that's exactly what they were doing. I want to give Dad, I want to give Mom something out of my heart. I want to give them my very best. Again, it looks like a bunch of scribbles to everybody else, but to you and me, it's precious. Their gift moves your heart, and then what do you do? You you squat out on their level, and you wrap them in your arms, and you pick them up to your level, and then you shower them with more love and affection, and then the cycle just continues. And see, I believe that's the way, very simply, Jesus wants it with us. He draws us to spend time with Him. And when we do that, we learn we can trust Him. We learn His promises are true. He'll do what He said He would do. He is who He says He is. And because we trust Him, we begin to fall more in love with Him. And because we love Him, we want to give Him something out of our heart. We want to give Him our best. We want to give Him something that'll move His heart. And folks, that something is our worship. That something is our faith in action. How many of you know that the two are one and the same? When you worship, that's faith in action. When your faith is in action, that's also worship. The world thinks it's foolish. The world thinks it looks like scribbles. But God sees it as something precious. And do you know that it moves His heart? And guess what happens when you move His heart? The same thing. He comes down to our level. He wraps us up in His love. And He picks us up to His level in heavenly places, in the presence of God. And it's in the presence of God that breakthrough happens. Healing happens. Wholeness happens. Strength for another day happens. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence. Everybody say Confidence. That we have an approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And when we know that He hears us, we know that we have the thing that we've asked of Him. Now let me wrap it all up one more time. Spending time with Him, it builds a trust. And then when we learn we can trust Him, we begin to love Him even more. And because we love Him even more, it wants I want to give Him my best action. I want to give Him my best worship. And see, whenever you begin to act on your faith, God then reacts to your faith. Let me say that again. Whenever you act on your faith, God reacts to your faith. I've talked a lot about this woman with the issue of blood, but I want, I want you to go there one more time with me, with her. And I want you to really try to put yourself in her mind. A lot of times we just read the story and we just kind of let it fly by. But get yourself in, get yourself in her mind if you can. This woman, the Bible says, a lot of you know the story, she's bleeding for 12 years. She is weak. She can hardly get around the house. She's about to, she knows she's about on her last leg. She's gone to doctors for 12 years, and instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. And maybe she got up that one morning, and she was very feeble, and she's staggering around the house. Maybe she needs a stick to walk with. I don't know. But maybe this one morning she goes over and she goes over to her counter to try to fix herself something to eat. But this morning's a little bit different than every other morning because now she's looking out her window, and all of a sudden everybody's running here and there. They're closing down their shops are shutting up their workshops and people are screaming the dust is flying all over the place from the from the streets because everybody running around and they're shouting something about he's here he's here he's here and she doesn't know what's going on and maybe she she walks out to the door and and, and she she happens to catch the first person that's running by hey what's going on today what, what's happening and they turn around and they look at her and they say the man that's raising dead people to life, the, the one that's opening blind eyes, Jesus of Nazareth has come to our city. And she hears that, and all of a sudden she says these words, and I don't believe she got this by herself. I believe the Holy Ghost put this revelation in her because Jesus' reputation is it's is at its peak right now. And she begins to say to herself what the Holy Ghost put in her, if I could just get to this man. I mean... He's touched people and people are getting healed. He speaks the Word and people are getting healed. But if I could just somehow touch Him, even if I could get a piece of His clothing, I know that I could be healed in my body. She begins to act on that faith. But again, it's not an easy task for her to get there because everywhere Jesus goes, the mob follows. And we know that. Every time Jesus goes into a city, the mob just surrounds Him and attacks Him. It's hard to get to him. They had to rip open a roof and let a man in that was paralyzed because he couldn't go through the front door because the mob was there. There was a time he had to get in a boat and push off from from the shore to be able to speak to the crowd. Why? Because the mob was there. Jesus many times would tell people that He healed, don't tell anybody because I want to be able to move freely in and out of a town. But they couldn't keep it to themselves. And because of that, the mob would show up. And so as Jesus is coming into town, there's this mob. And she understands, if I don't get to Him, and if I don't do what I know in my heart He can do, if I don't touch Him, I'm going to die in this because the crowd's going to kill her. The mob is going to kill her. In the condition she's in, I'm convinced that if she doesn't get to him, the mob's going to do her in. And the moment she decided to go in is the moment I really believe she laid down her life. If I don't get to him, I'm not coming out. I believe this was one of the greatest acts of worship ever recorded. Here's why. Because she acted on what she believed and she bet her life on it. I'm going to give him my best, and I tell you the struggle was hard. I mean, I, can you imagine her just making that decision, walking up and and just working her way in, 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 in between the first two people she can get her hands on, and as she's working in and as she's being jostled by the crowd, every time she gets an elbow, I believe she just begins to remind herself, if I can get to him, every time she gets cursed out, every time somebody tells her to get off their back, I believe she was saying. It's worth every bit of this. It's worth every bit of this. Y'all know that song that Rita Springer sings, It's Going to Be Worth It. It's Going to Be Worth It. It's Going to Be Worth It All. I believe if that song would have existed back then, I think that would have been her song. Every time she got hit, he's worth it. Every time she got cursed out, he's worth it. Every time she thought she's about to go under, he's worth it. Because you know what worship is? The word worship actually means to give worth to something to ascribe worth to somebody. And that's exactly what she was doing. Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth the pain. You're worth the struggle. You're worth the press. You are worth it. She was in a pressed crowd. It was tight. And I tell you, some of you this morning, you feel the press when you worship. You're feeling the press right now in your walk with God. You're feeling some pain. You're, You're dealing with thoughts. You're dealing with dryness in your soul like this woman. It was hard for her to worship. She's not feeling it, but she is worshiping through the press. She is saying, I'm giving you all I've got. I am giving you my very best. And maybe, I don't know how long she was in that crowd. Maybe it was 30 minutes. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe it was a couple. I don't know. But maybe she's starting to fade. Maybe she's starting to black out. Maybe she's starting to get dizzy. And she can see his back, and she's trying her best just to reach out and get this man. And right as she's starting to tunnel out, one more last lunge. And when she does, her fingers are able just to brush a piece of his clothing. And when she does, bam, something happens in her. You know, I believe this. If she could have walked up and touched his face, I believe she'd have done that, if that's the best she could have done. If she could have walked up and grabbed his hands, I believe she would have done that. If she could have washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair like another woman did, I believe she would have done that. But all she could do was barely... Touch a piece of his clothes. Why go all go through all the pain? Why go through all the trouble for that? Because true faith will give its all. True worship is going to give its best. But have you ever had the enemy tell you, just like this song that we sang, your good, your best is not good enough? Your best is not good enough. Oh man, I wish I could worship like other people could. I wish I had the faith that Billy Graham had. I wish I had the faith like Stephen Furtick or T.D. Jakes. Listen, can I tell you something this morning? God doesn't want you to give the best that T.D. Jakes has got. He only wants you to give the best that you've got. The Father did not require Peter, uh, the, the, the Father didn't require this woman to touch Jesus the way that Peter, James, and John did that day. He only wanted her to give her very best. And when she did, the Bible says something happened in her and something happened in Jesus. He goes, whoa, what was that? It's the only miracle that I can find that ever took Jesus by surprise. You know, every other time that he healed somebody, he knew it. He knows when he's opening blinded eyes. He knows when he's raising the dead. This is the one time in all Scripture where he goes, whoa, what just happened to me? I felt somebody reach out and grab power out of me. I felt it just sucked out of me. Are you hearing that this morning? Oh, the, the, the disciples are going, Lord, what are You talking about who touched You? The crowd is pressed. No, guys, you don't understand. Somebody has just worshipped me in this mob. Somebody has just worshipped me in the press. Somebody has just acted on their faith. Listen, she couldn't wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. She didn't have an alabaster box like another woman had. But what she had, she gave, and if I can say it this way, it was literally enough to suck the power of God into her life and what is true true for her, it's true for us this morning. When we act on our faith and give God our best worship, it is enough to bring down the power of God into your soul and give you life to whatever is dying on the inside of you. Mark chapter 14, verse 8. Jesus did talk about that alabaster box woman and He said this. He said, she did what she could there's a whole message in that right there. The reason so many may not get a breakthrough is because they're not doing what they could. See, when God sees you giving your heart, when He sees you giving your best, it draws Him to us like a magnet. Surely goodness, surely mercy is gonna follow me, run after me, tackle me all the days of my life. I was at a youth camp just a couple of weeks, uh, just a couple of months ago, actually last month, and um, Uh, There was a a guy that was there. He was actually one of the pastors. And because of some circumstances that had happened in his his distant past, he told me one night after a service, he said, Darren, he said, said, I have not been able to speak in tongues for the last nine years. And he said, something was just always missing. He said, I "I used to be able to. And then he said, "This, this thing happened in my life where I just... Just felt like I just wasn't worthy anymore. He said, but I always knew it as a pastor. I always knew something was missing. I kept hitting a wall. Uh, Even when I would minister in the altars to people, the best I could do was just just try to pray for them. And I, I never felt a release. I never felt like I was breaking through. And he said, tonight, he said, when you gave an invitation for people to be filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, I came up and And it just wasn't happening for me. He said, I was just so frustrated. And again, I'm hitting that wall. And he said, the best thing I could do at that point, he said, there was a young man in front of me. He said, I just laid my hands on him and I started praying for him to receive. And this is what he said. His words, not mine. He said, I want to tell you, he said, when his wall fell and he received, he said, My wall fell, and I received. You see, in that moment, when he gave the best he could, when he gave God what was in his heart, goodness and mercy came rushing in. You know, the woman in Luke chapter 7 that was a harlot, that came in where Jesus was eating, and that did cry on Jesus' feet, you remember what the Bible says she did? It says she came in, and as she was washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair, the Bible called that worship. And I want you to notice, she never even tries to get her heart right before she comes in. She doesn't even get a prayer of repentance out. The Bible says that as she started to worship, Jesus turned to her. And I tell you something, when you give God what is in your heart in worship, when when it's your best, Jesus turns around and He looks at you. Jesus enters your room. Jesus looks your way. Jesus walks into your life. And then He looked at her again before there was ever any chance for her to repent. He said, this woman sins. Though they are many, they are forgiven her. Get up and go in peace. You see, whenever you come and you give God your best worship, all of a sudden it's like a magnet. Jesus turns around. He starts walking into your life. He starts moving into your room. Goodness and mercy come following you. Goodness and mercy come chasing after you. Goodness and mercy tackle you all the days of your life. And it gives life to what's dying on the inside of you. You know what I believe that that Scripture was saying in Luke 7? I believe Jesus was giving us a lesson there. He was saying, come at me from where you are. Bartimaeus only had a shout. If that's all you got, come at me with it. This, the, the woman that came in, the the, the the adulterous woman that came in to the dinner that day, she had to walk through a lot of embarrassment. Jesus says, come at me with it. The woman with the alabaster box, that's all she had. Come at me with it. The woman with the issue of blood, all she could do was barely touch him. Jesus was saying, come at me with it. Listen to me this morning. If your best this morning is a shout, God's saying, come at me with it. If your best is just a cry a tear, God's saying, come at me with it. If your best is a groan, God is saying, come at me with it. If all you can do is sigh, then come at me with it. If all you can do is dance, come at me with it. Come at me through the embarrassment. Come at me through the press. Come at me through the pain. Come at me with it, God says. Listen, you might not be able to sing... You might not be able to pray eloquently. You might not be able to preach. You might not feel love or joy or peace and the weight of the world might be on your shoulders this morning, but I'll tell you what you can still do. You can still lift your hands. You can still lift your voice. You can still speak in the Holy Ghost if you want to. Some of you can even dance if you want to. You can give God the best you've got right now and your best brings down the power of God, goodness, and mercy will come running, follow you, chase you, tackle you, and give life to what's dying on the inside of you. Let's not ever say we have nothing to give God. Oh, yeah, we do. We can always give Him what's in our heart. And that's what God wants. It looks like scribbles to the rest of the world. might look like worthlessness to everybody else, but God looks at that and says, that's precious to me. That's precious because I know you're giving your heart right there. And whenever we give our heart, the grace of God overcomes. The grace of God wins the day. I mean, let's learn a lesson from that little boy with five loaves and two fish. It might not look like much, but when I give my best, God can make something huge out of it. Listen, this benefits us. Thank God it does. But it also benefits people that are in our circle did you know that when you give your best worship at night, it might not be about you, but it might be about somebody close to you? Because the Bible says this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And whenever the freedom of God comes into a place, I don't believe it just comes on one person. I believe it just splashes over, over on other people that are with us. Now, I'm not saying that all your problems are going to vanish in one day. Look, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this. The Bible gives us a promise. It says, don't worry, but pray. Thank God for what He's already done. Tell God what you need. And then the peace of God whew, that surpasses all human understanding will keep your heart and your mind as you trust in Him. You see, it's, it's, it's a spiritual law. It's like whenever there's true worship coming out of a person, Whenever there's raw, real worship coming out of a person, whether it's a groan or whether it's a sigh or whether it's a tear, it's like the mercy of God goes, all right, I see that, I feel that, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. It chases you, tackles you, gets all over you. I'll give an example. I'll never forget one time. I was about 19. I was going to faith uh, tabernacle. I don't know what was, what was going on with me that day, but I, I walked in with... with uh, some kind of mood. I was Just one of those moods. I didn't feel like doing nothing. I didn't feel like worshiping. I didn't feel like anything. I just walked in, and when worship started, I was doing this number. Y'all ain't ever been there, have you? And I remember just looking around, and, and uh, over on the other side of the auditorium, there was a lady. Uh, she was a real frail lady, and she was... Uh, Gosh, she's probably in her 30s but she was wheelchair bound and uh, she was all the way over against the wall and was sitting in her chair of course and we were singing this chorus I believe the chorus was I stand I stand and all of you y'all remember that old older chorus holy God to whom all praises do you and as they were singing that song I remember you know it was, it was that's the words that were coming out of everybody's mouth and everybody was standing so I'm just thinking you know okay and I'll never forget just kind of glancing over during that song, and this precious lady had taken her hands and had pushed herself up off the chair to hold herself up, so so she could stand to honor God in that moment. And she had no idea, I many not even know that that's a person giving their best. That's a person giving out of their heart, and she had no idea. I believe that what she was doing was blessing her, and I believe that God got all over her because her face was just glowing, but she had no idea that what she was doing flew all the way over across the auditorium, got all over me, and all of a sudden, my problems began to vanish. My heart changed, and when she gave her best, it set me free. Her worship affected me. Can you believe that when you give your best, it might not be about you? You might not even feel it, but it might be about somebody else in this room that needs a touch and a blessing in your life. So when God moves on us to give your best and give, give a little bit more than you usually do, it might not be about you. might be about somebody that's across the room. might be about somebody back home. might be about somebody in another state that you've been praying for to get saved. God could rush in and touch that person. When we give our best, it brings down the power of God. I remember one time when I came in from cutting grass years ago when the kids were little. I remember uh, coming in and sitting on the couch to get a breather and they were watching this cartoon on PBS and and I was sitting there drinking my water and I got all sucked into this cartoon, you know, go figure. And, and, uh, yeah. and uh, it was about this kid, this teenager, he's a Native American. And what had happened was a geologist had come from America over to the, the reservation and they're part of the reservation and he was wanting to study the, the unique rocks and, and ground formations and all that in their area and so he asked this young man he said where's the best place I could go to find the most unique rocks and, and samples for for my study and the young man said well over here's this mountain if you look at it over here and he said it'll take us about two hours to climb it but if you get a rope we work together we can make it up that make it up that mountain. He said, okay, let's do it. So they got a rope and they're climbing up the mountain. And when they get up there, there's a small plateau and there's one tree growing in the middle of that plateau. And the young man leans up against that tree to rest. And the geologist is doing his work and he's gathering his samples. And when he finally gets done, he walks over to the edge of the mountain and he takes one more look at the view, and when he does, the earth underneath his feet gives way and he starts sliding down the side of that mountain. And he's able to grab a hold of this limb that's growing out of the rock face, and he's he's there hanging on, and this young man jumps up and he runs over to the edge of the mountain and he says, hold on, I'll get the rope, just hang on. And he ties one end of the rope to the tree, throws the other end over, but it's about two feet too short. The guy can't get a hold of it. And so he pulls it back up and he says, Hang on, I'll try again. And this time you see from the vantage point of the man hanging onto the limb, he's looking up and you see the rope come over the cliff, and this time it can reach him. So he's able to get that rope and he climbs up the side of the mountain. And when he gets to the top, this look of shock is on his face because what he sees is this young man, he's taken the rope and he's tied it to his ankles. And he's hanging on to the tree and stretched out his body to make the rope longer so that this man can get up the mountain. And so what you have here is a picture of somebody hanging on to somebody else hanging on. Did you know that people are hanging on to you hanging on? Did you know that there are people that are watching your life? Can you believe that there are people, you may not know it, you may not see it, but somebody else is getting free because of your worship? Somebody else is breaking through because they're watching your life? Somebody else is looking at you and going, Man... If they they can make it through what they're going through, and if they don't crack, and if they don't give up, then I'm going to choose to believe that their God is real, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Can you believe that there is somebody hanging on to you, hanging on? When you pray for that loved one, they're hanging on to you, hanging on. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but that's a spiritual truth. There is always somebody in your life, in your circle of influence, that is hanging on to you, hanging on. I mean, we could be worshiping right now for something coming five years later. We don't know. But you can't tell me that when Joshua was walking around the walls of Jericho that day, when they were walk, marching around one day for six days, or one time for six days, then seven times on the seventh day, you can't tell me that when they were looking at those walls, they were just marching for themselves. They were also marching for their kids. They were marching for their grandkids. They were marching for their great-grandkids. Because this is a word to somebody this morning. Joshua said, if I don't break this wall down, my kids will have to face it. If I don't deal with this now, my grandkids are going to have to deal with it. It's coming down with me. It's coming down with my generation so that they'll never have to face it. Who am I talking to in here this morning? God is speaking to you. There's a wall in your life. It's got to come down with you so that your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids will never have to face it. And how did Joshua's wall come down? It came down the same way all of them come down. He trusted what God said. He believed what God said about him. And he gave his best worship in that moment. And it was enough to bring down the power of God. Guess what happened? Grace, mercy came running. It tackled them. It knocked down the walls. It gave them the victory they needed. Same thing goes for us. When we give our best worship, whether it's a tear, a cry, a sigh, whatever it may be, here comes the mercy of God. Here comes the grace of God pursuing you, tackling you all the days of your life to bring life to what is needed on the inside of you. It's for you, and it's also for the person that's hanging on to you hanging on. See, our obedience is worship. Amen? Our trust is worship. What we do affects us, and how we worship affects those that are close to us. It was about uh, I don't know who, who I'm talking to this morning, but I, I just wonder, what would happen at this, what happened this morning if when we came to this altar today, if we just stretched just a little bit I mean, just a little bit. Maybe you're not used to lifting your hands, but I wonder what happened if you just stretch a little bit more, Maybe you just lifted them a little bit. What, I wonder what would happen? Because you're doing something that's uncomfortable to you, but what you're doing is saying Jesus. I may not feel like it, but you're worth it. That's worship. God, I may feel uncomfortable, but you're worth it. That's worship. And you know what happens when we do that? Jesus turns around. He starts walking into your room. He starts walking into your life. Goodness and mercy come running. How many of you could use a good dose of goodness and mercy in your life today? I know I could. It was, gosh, it was not, well, it had to be 1994 because that's when I first went to First Assembly in Florence as a youth pastor. And when I first got there, we had four kids in, in the youth ministry. And uh, I was given a list of teenagers that had, you know, kind of come and gone through the years. And, and uh, my mission was to go out and make contact somehow with, with, with every kid that I could. And I remember one particular visit was at Four Seasons Apartment off of Helton Drive in Florence, Alabama. I walked up to this apartment and walked into the Morgan household. And uh, they had two kids. Abby, she was 14, I think, at the time. And Caleb, her younger brother. And sat down and, and just had a wonderful talk with his family. And I just told him, hey, I'm the new guy at First Assembly. We're, we're, we're trying to build something there in our youth ministry. And I'd love you to come and join us and, and be a part of it because we believe we're going to see God do some great things and... So after a wonderful visit, uh, they came. The whole family came and were a part of First Assembly for many years until God called them to, to move actually to this area, the Birmingham area. And uh, Abby was just kind of real shy. She was kind of closed in and, and uh, uh, didn't really say, say much. And, but over the years, you know, she began to, began to open up and And we discovered that she had a beautiful singing voice. I mean, gorgeous singing voice. And I began to just ask her, uh, putting it out in front of her, why don't you sing a special for youth service one night? Oh, I don't know if I need to do that. That's kind of scary. Well, that took some doing, but over the course of time, she got up the the nerve, got up the courage, and she sang this special, and, and, and it was beautiful. Everybody was just awed, wild, blessed, at the gift of God that she had. And so that really built her confidence. And so she began to grow in that. And she began to move up to the big sanctuary, started singing specials there, began to be on the worship team, began to develop her gift. And now today she's married. She's got a couple of kids. She's still leading worship. And about when she was, I guess, 19, she was in just in full, full force in, 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 in her gift she was alone in the apartment. Mom and dad and everybody had gone to their jobs for the day. She was in the bathroom getting ready for the day. And a lot of times what would happen is the Lord would just move on her to sing, either in the car or in the bathroom or whatever she was doing at the time. And she'd just worship. That's just the way she was. She's a worshiper. You know how it hits you sometimes. You're driving down the road. You just, a song pops in your head. You just start worshiping so important we do that. A lot of times we just kind of take that for granted. Well, she's in there and she's getting ready and she's spraying her hairspray and all of a sudden she just starts belting out amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Just starts belting it out. Was blind, but now I see. And she's singing that whole hymn and worshiping. And it's blessing her. God's coming into that room and she's getting a blessing out of that. Goes on about her day. No big deal, right? I don't know how long it was. I don't know if it was weeks or months, but it was sometime after that. She walked out of her apartment one day and when she opened the doors, something caught her eye. It was a little white envelope that was Somebody dropped it right there in front of the door. She picked it up and she opened it. And inside was this letter. I want to read it to you this morning. It says, Dear ma'am, you don't know me, but we used to share the same bathroom wall. I live behind you, and I never heard an audible sound through the wall until one particular day. And that moment will stay with me for a long time. It is one of the reasons I am here to write this letter. You see, I was going through a bad depression. On more than one occasion, I cut myself with the intention of killing myself. And the more I wanted to do it, the more it became clear that something was holding me back. One day, while I was in my bathroom, I realized that was an important step I needed to take. That day, I heard you through the wall singing, Amazing Grace. I'd gotten away from church since I'd moved away for college. But at that moment, I realized I was lost. I truly believe it was divine intervention that I heard you that day. This may sound stupid, but I can't thank you enough. You are one of my angels. She had no idea that while she's getting ready in her bathroom, God moves on her just to worship. How many times have we just maybe pushed that aside or take that for granted? She had no idea that on the other side of that wall she didn't see it. She didn't know it. But her worship that was blessing her and just giving her a good day was the same worship that was ripping off demons of suicide... It was breaking off chains of depression. It was reaching into the pit of hell to bring somebody out of the grip of the enemy. Her best in that moment got all over somebody else and it affected her. Don't tell me that your worship and your best doesn't affect things. You know what happened in that moment? She gave her best. Goodness and mercy came running. Goodness and mercy came running. The grace of God came running, got all over Abby, then broke through a wall and got all over the person on the other side of that wall. I wonder what would happen happened if we just took a few moments this morning and just said, I don't really care how I feel. It doesn't matter if I don't want to or not. Listen, how many of you know it's great when you give God your want-to worship? But you know what's powerful? is when you give God your I don't want to praise. Is when you give, give, give God I don't feel like it praise. Is when you give God I, I really don't want to do this worship. That's when it comes running. That is when it starts breaking through walls. That's when it starts getting all over you, but then it just goes past you and starts splashing all over everybody else, either here in this room or in your house where you live. I wonder what would happen if we took just a few minutes to stretch a little further than we normally do. What would happen? You want to find out? I'd like to find out this morning. Won't you stand to your feet with me for a second?